as people start exploring the mental realm you know, through meditation and centering prayer and going within and realize how much is there far beyond the tiny little corner occupied by your little ego mind and your linguistic brain. There's a tremendous amount of awareness to this universe that we have access to that goes beyond the illusion of a self and a sense of here and now. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. Mind and consciousness aren't something that we have, but rather what we and the whole world are. This is the new science and the true nature of our existence. It's one of my very favorite things that Dr. Jude Curvan writes. We don't have consciousness. We are consciousness. Ponder that for a moment. During this Conscious Planet series, Jude and I have been exploring the 13.8 billion year history of Gaia, seeing her as innately intelligent and inherently alive with meaning and purpose. And what about us humans living here on this conscious planet? Our connection is so much more than a landlord-tenant relationship. We're part of the same consciousness. Remember, mind and consciousness aren't something we have, but rather what we and the whole world are. This is an intriguing conversation. And who better to have it with than someone who has been on a vital journey to unveil the mystery of consciousness itself. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, bring your awareness into your heart, relax and open your mind, settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our co-host and guest. My co-host, Dr. Jude Kirvin, is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, and author of the best-selling and award-winning book, The Cosmic Hologram. Jude just published The Story of Gaia, which has inspired this Conscious Planet series. And our guest, Dr. Eben Alexander, was an academic neurosurgeon for over 25 years, including 15 at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and Harvard Medical School in Boston. He experienced a transcendental near-death experience during a week-long coma from an inexplicable brain infection that completely transformed his worldview. A pioneering scientist and modern thought leader in the emerging science that acknowledges the primacy of consciousness in the universe, he is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven, and now living in a mindful universe. Welcome, Eben. Well, Julie and Jude, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be with you both today. We're really happy to to be here, and I have a feeling we're going to go off script because we have so much connection here in the consciousness realm, and who knows where this is going to take us. But we've had, Eben, you've been on my show a couple times now, and I've had a traditional first question for the first nine years of the show. And we're really kind of transforming that connection a little bit in this 10th year. And I I think it's perfect 
with you writing Living in a Mindful Universe and this show being all things connected, I'm wondering what that means to you in time in terms of a mindful universe now. What does all things connected mean when we talk about a mindful universe? I think what it's getting to is um, kind of an elaboration of kind of a scientific and philosophical understanding of the nature of reality that is very different from what so many of us are used to. Uh, And certainly those of us in the scientific field were trained in a certain way. And yet what we're finding is that all the evidence really leads in a different direction. Uh, And it's one that absolutely demands our recognition of the primacy and unification of mind that in so many ways you can demonstrate how we're all connected. And it's not just humans. We're connected with the entire universe through this profound uh, kind of primacy of mind. Objective idealism would be one philosophical way to put it. But in essence, when you get deep into a discussion of of definitions of uh, things like mind and consciousness and God and all of that, I think the best way to put it is it's more of a form of evolutionary panentheism, which is, again, this notion that brings to life the reality of the mental aspect of the universe, the top-down causal properties of that intelligent mental layer of the universe, that we all have access to it as sentient beings. But the thing never to lose sight of is how it demonstrates our connectedness and the binding force of love as being ultimately Uh, the force that kind of entangles us all and brings us all into one kind of meaning and purpose of of evolution in the universe. And the evolutionary part of evolutionary panentheism means that free will is alive and well, as opposed to some other kind of modern models of the way things work that would try to eliminate free will completely and pretend that this is all just a dance of matter following all the laws of physics, chemistry, biology, and nothing more as opposed to a much more kind of teleologically directed uh, uh, form of that mental power of connection. So to me, it just enlivens greatly uh, the revolution I see coming to the whole scientific community. And of course, I'm kind of prejudiced uh, with my neurosurgical and neuroscientific bent to realize you have to take a certain approach to looking at this to come to any understanding. And that is a much grander approach. And it's one of the things I love about Jude's work, really, is I've, in the 14 years since my coma, come to realize very readily that the curse here is the specialist. And we all rely on the specialist. You know, the world has gotten so complicated. We need the specialist. Well, in in deep truth, we also need generalists who have a fantastic, broad view of all that's going on. Because if all you have is neuroscience or all you have is philosophy of mind or all you have is quantum physics or all you have is parapsychology and non-local consciousness, you come to certain kind of glimpses of this reality. But when you have all of this kind of knowledge and approach, uh, you get what we call consilience, which is evidence of the primacy of consciousness and the unification of consciousness that is present in all of these fields that are all very different ways of looking at the universe. And of course, what Jude really brings to the equation in a beautiful fashion is that kind of long-term look uh, kind of through the eye of the universe itself over a 13.7 billion year uh, history. And of course, that's all just a compactified version of a much grander history. And so I think uh, that's what I truly love about Jude's work. And for me, it's just 
refreshing to see someone with such a broad and uh, you know broadly educated uh, way of looking at this and coming up with a very kind of in many ways unique and yet refreshing and liberating answers about the nature of reality. And that's where I think this discussion uh, holds a lot of promise. Mm. Well, even I, I'm, I'm listening to you knowing that you are just speaking to Jude's wheelhouse so well and mentioning this f- force of love. Like she talks about this as being the science of love. And, and I, I couldn't agree with everything that you said more. It was, it was really brilliant. So I'm just going to invite Jude in here to give us a brief synopsis of that science of love as we turn this conversation into consciousness and really help our listeners. It's, it's more than talking about a conscious planet, but what does this mean for all of these different states and stages that we've been talking about here? And I know it's going to be a, a delightful conversation. We've already set that up. So Jude, do you want to just give us that brief synopsis of the science and consciousness, and we'll see where we go from here? Delighted to, and Evan, thank you so much. I think I'll start with realizing that we're here now, here and now for a purpose that we're not here by accident having this conversation. I realized when I was writing The Cosmic Hologram that I couldn't have written the book any time before I did, even though I'd experienced my reality as a multidimensional cosmic hologram since I was four years old. But what I realized was the evidence, the scientific evidence at all scales of existence across those many fields of research that you're referring to, Eben, was really only being able to be synthesized and synergized in the last few years. So the cosmic hologram was an understanding of the nature of a a unified reality, where our universe is a multidimensional, unified, conscious entity within an infinite, eternal cosmos. But it took another five or more years for the story of Gaia to come along. And that was because there was another four or five years of evidential-based discovery to be made that could not have been written until the book is written. And I find this incredibly significant because it seems to me that it's the entire universe flowing through us. It's evolutionary impulse flowing through us, which means that our sense of awakening, our sense of expanding our awareness is happening alongside the universe revealing to us through this, these incredible scientific breakthroughs and discoveries that what we're awakening to is fundamental reality. And so basically, you know, the appearance of our universe, we now have the evidence for cosmologically down to the smallest scale of existence, which is way smaller than quantum scale. It's called the Planck scale that our universe arises from deeper realms of causation, of intelligent causation, as digitized and vitally meaningful information, pixelated at this incredibly tiny scale that was named after Max Planck, who was one of the great pioneers of quantum physics, and who also adhered to this understanding of the primacy of consciousness. And it's informed reality manifest holographically. This is the thing that's blowing so many cosmological minds at the moment. There's been a recent book by Professor Brian Cox and Professor Jeff Forshaw called Black Holes. And basically they come to the conclusion at the end, 
exactly this, that the appearance of our universe arises from deeper realms of causation, holographically manifest, manifested. They don't know how, but they're honest enough, they're good enough scientists to follow the evidence to this realization. So basically, it's innate wholeness. Our universe's innate wholeness is expressed in nested and relational complexity. That goes back to what you were saying, Eben, that everything is in profound relationship with everything else of its differentiated and diverse parts. So as the arc of evolution goes from the 13.8 billion year ago beginning, not as in the chaos of a, a big bang, but as an incredibly ordered an exquisite fine-tuned, an ongoing first moment of an ongoing big breath as space has expanded and, and time has flowed. Our universe has evolved to ever greater levels of differentiated self-awareness and perspective into being and interdependence, and both individual and collectively. And back to what you both said, mind and consciousness aren't what we have, they're literally what we and the whole world are. And this is a story, this is a narrative, a unitive narrative of inherent meaning and evolutionary purpose and where we have our evolutionary meaning, it seems to me, here and now at the bow wave of our universe's potential. And I'd just like to come back perhaps, or I'll, I'll say it now. In 1623, a book was published called De Augmentis Scientiarum, and it was about the scientific method. And it set this whole process of scientific methodology through this cycle to now. And in that time, I believe its author, Francis Bacon, has been radically misunderstood. Because instead of trying to dispel the divine, dispel God or great mystery from this exploration of our physical realm, he actually was intending to move beyond the superstition of his day and to integrate heaven and earth. He believed, from all my readings of what he was trying to put in place, is that scientific methodology would ultimately, if scientists followed the evidence wherever it led, would reveal the divine in everything. And I actually feel we're at that moment now. And I was speaking at the exact place in London last week where he co-founded that scientific methodology and speaking to the folks who still carry on his legacy. And that was when, that day or the day after, COVID came to visit me. And I'm seeing this as a hopeful initiation of our conversation here and us taking this perspective that science has brought us now to this, back to this understanding and the revelation of the divine, the revelation of all that is, and hopefully what that means to us, what choices do we make when we appreciate that this is what is being revealed to us. So Jude, that was brilliant. That's not only the science of love, but it's the science of the divine. And I think this is a really brilliant place to just pause and feel that magnitude of the convergence of science and spirituality again. All three of us are highly invested in bringing that together and allowing the world to really see this true existence. And Evan, this is where you've been focused since your 
near-death experience. I'm wondering what the science and this convergence is teaching you. You've been an academic. You've been in the realm of a pure mechanistic materialistic science. And now here you are bringing your wisdom through and challenging all of us to look at the world different. I'm wondering what you might want to say to expand on what Jude just brought through about science. Well, I I love what Jude said. It kind of reminds me in many ways how so much of what uh, I think those of us who are kind of involved in the the leading edges of this uh, uh, kind of investigation into the mind-brain relationship and ultimately the nature of reality itself are coming to realize is that in many ways, uh, you know, in certain spiritual traditions, East and West, uh, these notions of binding force of love and of connectedness through mind have been with us for thousands of years. So to me, it's very important to remember. And that's what I think your, your story about Francis Bacon is uh, very important, because what it reminds us of is these brilliant fathers of modern science, like Galileo and Bacon and others, you know, even though our modern history has tended to kind of shift and focus on their contributions to the rise of materialism, uh, most of them were not just simply going for it, you know, a non-divine materialist approach to the world. And it was others who, who kind of overlaid that kind of false narrative on top of it all to pretend that, you know, materialism was now taking the reins and uh, was ultimately going to answer all the questions. Because in fact, there are so many aspects of modern human experience where the notion of brain creates consciousness fails miserably. And it really suggests a much deeper and more profound existence to mind. And that's the important thing is, is we tend to believe in our modern scientific culture that mind is something that depends absolutely on a functioning brain. And yet what we find out in many ways, it seems that we're conscious in spite of our brain. And that is a very important uh, distinction to make. And especially as people start exploring the mental realm, you know, through meditation and centering prayer and going within and realize how much is there far beyond the tiny little corner occupied by your little ego mind and your linguistic brain. There's a tremendous amount of awareness to this universe that we have access to that goes beyond the illusion of a self and a sense of here and now. Uh, And of course, all of us would admit, I think pretty readily, that the mind, the mental realm is obviously one that's outside of time. We can talk about the past and the future and easily mix those all up in a mental realm. And yet we we feel like we uh, live in this material realm in this now moment. And yet I think uh, there's so much evidence that our uh, mental space has existence far beyond the here and now and sense of self. And this, of course, is something that is really forced upon one for example, during a near-death experience, you know, when your mind is being forced to separate your conscious awareness, to separate from the body uh, in the same process that all of us go through when our uh, bodily existence comes to an end. Uh, And yet, if you look at it from this side, it looks like they come to an end. And yet so much evidence says, no, 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 conscious awareness actually expands when it's liberated from the shackles of the brain and the body. And that's where I think all of the modern scientific literature in studying near-death experiences, shared death experiences, and then all many other forms of non-local consciousness and parapsychology, like telepathy, which has a very real existence when it's carefully studied, 
precognition, pre-sentiment, the ability to kind of know the future seconds in advance, whether it's cognitively or from our autonomic nervous system. And then you have things like psychokinesis, uh, uh, again, studied in various laboratories like at University of Virginia, Division of Perceptual Studies. People can go to uvadops.org to learn a lot more about their work. Uh, But they've demonstrated quite readily this kind of non-local aspect of consciousness. And it goes, you know, beyond what I've already mentioned uh, to things like remote viewing, which is kind of a practical ability to discern information across space and time through non-ordinary means. Uh, And then, of course, you've got that tremendous literature uh, out of UVA and other places on past life memories in children suggestive of reincarnation. And when you have at UVA as one example, they have more than 2,700 cases they've studied over six decades. 1,700 of those cases are what they call solved. That is, they actually found through rigorous uh, research the life that is described by the young child that that person actually existed. And uh, that body of evidence is tremendous. But when you combine that with everything else that we're talking about here, and, and one group that does that quite readily is the University of Virginia group. And that's why I love Ed Kelly's three uh, edited books and contributions to this literature that clearly point out from a scientific and philosophical perspective with the very best evidence, the reality of mind widely distributed, you know, through the universe, that this primordial mind is something we all share. And the power that that gives to the individual soul, especially in escaping the the, the kind of mindless uh, ignorance of materialism that pretends that when your brain and body die, that's the end of your soul and your conscious awareness. Well, that's just not the case, according to all of this other evidence. And we need a much bigger theater of operations to discuss the brain-mind connection, the nature of mind and consciousness. And that's where, from my perspective as a neurosurgeon, all of this is headed. But ultimately, the big answers really come out of physics and uh, quantum physics and certainly study of the world around us. And when we get down into the tiniest aspects, that Planck scale that uh, Jude mentioned, what we come to realize is none of that seems to operate independently of the observing mind. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just astonishing how much this emergent physical reality around us seems to reflect the fact that it, it's all kind of mentally derived with top-down causality from this primordial mind, and that our brains serve as filters that allow a very uh, kind of limited aspect of that primordial consciousness into our awareness. And that's where we get this sense of self and here and now. And yet a little bit of exploration with meditation, centering prayer, a spontaneous epiphany, near-death, shared death experience. Shared death is in someone who's normally pretty healthy at the time and uh, uh, say their mother is dying a thousand miles away and the mother's soul on the way out will come by and get that bystander's soul to take it along, even to witnessing a full-blown life review. I mean, shared death experiences are astonishing and they are not uncommon out there. But when you look at all of these kind of phenomena of human experience, materialism and materialist scientists, and I know because before my coma, I I was uh, guilty of this. I worshiped materialism and I do not use that term lightly. It's a faith-based religion that has less to support it than some of the faith-based religions. But all that does is takes us right back to the wisdom of what you just shared, 
and the fact that we're spiritual beings in a spiritual universe. And ultimately, when I use the word spiritual, it's very simple. It doesn't have to involve any kind of religious concepts at all. And for me, spirituality just means a sense of connection mentally with the universe and with all else that exists in it, and also a sense of meaning and purpose. You don't need anything more to try and dress up the word spirituality in terms of what it really brings to the table. But this sense of connectedness and that top-down influence of the mental layer of the universe and what it demonstrates about our true abilities of free will to manifest the world of our dreams. And so it brings idealism to life. Idealism is where we go in our book, that the book that Karen and I wrote, Living in a Mindful Universe. Uh, we go heavily towards objective idealism, which, as I said earlier, when you get beyond the little definitions and things about consciousness and God, what you realize is it's just a statement that the God force is within all of this universe and certainly within sentient beings and that we share all that. And it's a mutual process of growth, transformation and understanding. And we're all here to learn and teach in that process of growth. But I would say in many ways, we're looking at kind of a culmination uh, in some sense of five to 10,000 years of human history of understanding their role in the universe and their nature in the universe. And in many ways, we're coming to find that that deep and profound answer of the binding force of love and uh, that connectedness through the mental realm is something that's been with spiritual traditions going back thousands of years. And we're just now, in many ways, like that T.S. Eliot poem where you get to the end of your journey and discover that all you've done is arrive at where you began. And in many ways, that's what we're up to. And we're realizing the great wisdom of some of those spiritual traditions. But notions of divinity are absolutely all through this kind of process of self-discovery and understanding of the nature of the universe. And that's why I think this kind of discussion and certainly what I see as Jude's contribution to it uh, is really very liberating and refreshing for humanity at large because our modern world has been seduced, sucker punched by the false sense of separation of materialism. And that's what has led us into this horrible uh, kind of idea of, of conflict that we're against each other, competition, you know, and that combined with a, a false interpretation of Darwinian evolution in the mid 20th century to thinking it was just competition and that that's what led to survival, as opposed to what most biologists would tell you today, that it's all about collaboration and cooperation, not only between members of a species, but between species. And that's what leads to success in our modern living world. Uh, and the more we come to realize that as we are human beings interacting with other humans and that we should be concerned more about the higher good and taking care of each other, as opposed to this greedy kind of self-centered and false interpretation of reality and of, of evolution, that it's just about competition and beating out the, uh, you know, the competitors and getting rid of anyone who's competing for resources, things like that. That's the wrong way to look at it. And it's one of the reasons why our world is in so much trouble. That false sense of separation from materialist thought has really taken hold. And it's time that we, uh, you know, shook our heads and get rid of that kind of uh, misty thinking. And let's get back to uh, recognizing who we truly are, how we're all interconnected, how NDEs and other profound experiences show us the deep truth of this connection. Uh, and then let's get on with the work of being proper stewards of this planet. Because what I see is homo sapiens, you know, sapiens means wise. Well, what I see is a, a bunch of barbaric cavemen who are very greedy and selfish, you know, addiction to fossil fuels, turning out 
plastic pollution, hundreds of millions of tons a year. I mean, it is insane what this one species is doing to wreck this beautiful gift of a planet for all the rest of our fellow beings. So it is high time we woke up, took this seriously, matured a little bit, and quit being so uh, you know materialist and self-centered. Uh, it is high time that this world woke up to this deep scientific truth about interconnectedness and our responsibility really for the evolution of all consciousness. And that involves a very different view of kind of self and our role in interacting with others and with the evolution that we see happening now in our understanding of the nature of reality. Thank you, Eben. That was absolutely wonderful. And Julie says, unity is not ideal, it's real. And I feel that's what we're absolutely understanding and exploring. And just to perhaps go back, go back and on with a step, you know, the scientific method that Francis Bacon was literally the, the parent of is about following the evidence wherever it leads. And so over time, usually evidence has sort of danced with a theoretical framework. And as the evidence has outgrown an old theoretical framework, the theoretical framework has expanded to embody the new scientific discoveries. But we've got a, a framework that's more than 100 years out of date. Because as you said, you know, a century ago, the quantum pioneers and, the, and Einstein were giving us major, major clues that the mechanistic worldview of materialism separation was, was false. And yet it was pushed to the side. And instead, the whole of science became more a, a sort of a technologist quest and that's amazing, too, because what we've done, we've come to this point about able to have this conversation by Zoom, look further out into the universe and deeper and smaller than ever before. But I think as we'd all feel, we've lost so much in the sense of our connectedness with what is now being realized and what spiritual traditions and indigenous teachings have always told us is a living and evolving universe. But as this evidence now has literally outgrown, you know, it's not just creaking at the sides. The old paradigm is massively breaking down. It cannot hold what is being discovered. But the new perception, the new framework of a, a multidimensional, living, conscious and evolving universe, inherently meaningful, innately purposeful, also encompasses all that else that you're speaking to and we're speaking to, because it naturalizes supernormal phenomena. Not paranormal, not supernatural, but supernormal. And these are attributes and phenomena that are naturally our heritage. So you mentioned telepathy, remote viewing, all of that, but perhaps our most fundamental superpower is our intuition. And one of the most lovely things in my life is, is following the breadcrumbs of synchronicities as they unfold before me in a magical adventure. So this new framing, this new cosmological framing of multidimensional consciousness, but also a non-locally unified entity of a universe, a great thought rather than a great thing, welcomes us into this new adventure. So for me, it's not just waking up to remember we're inseparable, where instead of conflict being a natural behavior, peace is a natural behavior, it's actually inviting us into an expanded and evolutionary journey to become co-evolutionary partners with our planetary home Gaia and our entire universe. You know, it's an incredible adventure 
you know, the evidence for which you were referring to earlier, these cases of remembered reincarnation, evolutionary reincarnation, these massive databases of supernormal phenomena. This invites us to naturalize all of these in our lives. And I'd like to pass back to Julie first, but I'd love to hear from both of you. How would you see our lives being if we were able to open our hearts, our minds, our understanding of reality to this experience of reality in this way? Because both of you and I live in this way, but I'd love to hear your sense of what this could mean for us as an entire species beyond being humans now. Eben, we're inviting ourselves to be named as guys. I love that, and I would love to live up to that name. So yeah. But I mean, to me, it, it obviously just brings a world of far more, more peace, harmony, uh, basically health and wholeness. Uh, you know, so much of the kind of individual uh, tragedy of our modern world are people kind of struggling with that sense of conflict. And the sense of conflict arises from that false interpretation of reality inherent in materialism, uh, as opposed to a more quantum informed, unified vision of how we as uh, sentient beings fit in with all of our fellow sentient beings and with the other uh, kind of uh, living creatures of this universe and really with the universe at large. And to me, that is, uh, you know, it's a very important thing to acknowledge and realize about this is uh, how this uh, sense of connection and wholeness, harmony, helping others, uh, having shared purpose, uh, shared meaning in our lives can be so important in advancing kind of the well-being of the individual, because so much of our world is is uh, kind of thrown with the toxicity of that false sense of separation, and a lot of the large-scale results that that brings us in the kind of macro world of human interaction, uh, like warfare and violence and uh, literally the, the whole economic system in many ways with greed and corporate greed, things like that. Uh, that are just very much against the well-being of individual souls. So all of us can benefit from uh, this kind of expansion of understanding of, of the notion of spirituality and connection through the one mind that I think this scientific revolution can ultimately bring to this world. So let's expand on that, Eben, <clears throat> because this Jude brings in this idea of naturalizing multidimensional realities, multidimensional engagement, communication. We have two things on the table here in this conversation. We have the science, the, the knowledge, the information. We have the cognitive part of us trying to understand the world through science. And then we've, we've talked about each one of us having very profound direct experiences with unity. And uh, Jude's had multidimensional experience since she was four, the same with me. And here, here's what I'm kind of curious about, Eben, as I think about the difference in our near-death experiences. Mine was when I was four. I was four years old and then began living in a multidimensional reality from childhood, not knowing that the rest of humanity didn't have those experiences. Hmm. And here you had one as an esteemed neuroscientist, neurosurgeon, and as an adult, you have this major life experience. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and I was, I was talking about that 
sense within me of knowing I always existed. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was talking about knowing that there was no beginning to me and no end. And the person looked at me like, what? And, and again, it was like, oh yeah, that, that multidimensional element that narrates my life is not the same experience that others have had. So I'm wondering, as our listeners are tuning in too, and Eben, with your experience being so black and white, like here was life until the coma, and then here's life after a near-death experience to you. What is that experience of consciousness that many of our listeners are having that haven't had that multidimensional reality lifted in their awareness yet? Because so many people say, well, how can we create that direct experience so people get it from that place? I'm just wondering how you might respond to that and the, the differences in our multidimensional aspects of reality are, are exquisite, just like the sciences, bringing all the sciences together, bringing us a better tapestry all of these different ways that we can see the world through multidimensionality now is important. So let's, let's just kind of expand on that. I'm curious about that pre COVID pre, you know, we're all having these, these experiences and these direct experiences open us to something new. So how about your experience? Yeah, you've made some uh, beautiful points and it is exactly uh, to me in looking back on it, uh, just the extraordinary nature of my experience, because personal experience is kind of the ultimate teacher. And that's why the tact that, that Karen and I have taken, Karen Newell is my life partner. She's the co-author of my third book, Living in a Mindful Universe. And she and I, for the last uh, 11 plus years, have been going around and doing meditation workshops using a form, a very a very powerful tool for uh for meditation. It's uh, called binaural beat brainwave entrainment. And specifically, Karen is the co-founder of a company called Sacred Acoustics. And people can learn more at sacredacoustics.com. But one thing that we started doing several years ago was using the NDE scale that Bruce Grayson developed back in the early 1980s. It has 16 different points, uh, 16 different kind of categories of of things, uh, questions to be asked and answered by a participant. And then the score of that then gives you, you know, the kind of strength of that NDE. Mine, for example, uh, out of a maximum of 32 points, gained about 29 points. Anything above seven points is considered a deep NDE. But what we found is that in our meditation audiences, especially at the live events early on, but uh, also now in this uh, kind of webinar era where we do this kind of thing online, is that people, by using the various elements of that NDE scale and by using a powerful tool like differential frequency brainwave entrainment, sacred acoustics, which is something that influences your whole kind of being at the level of the lower brain stem. And that's the important thing, because most every sound you've ever heard in your life, uh, and that includes transcendental hymns, chants, anthems, etc., are all processed up in the acoustic cortex of the temporal lobes in circuits that basically have been derived mainly in the last two to three million years in primates and homo sapiens. Very different from differential frequency brainwave entrainment like sacred acoustics, where you're using slightly different frequencies to the two ears. And that is creating a very powerful interaction way down in the lower brainstem. And the reason that's important 
as a general principle in evolutionary biology is if you want to really get at a certain function, and, and in this discussion, that function will be consciousness or conscious awareness. What you want to do is look at the anatomy and the evolution going back in time, and that helps you to understand more of the workings of that functional system. And so when we're able to actually utilize a circuit uh, in the lower brainstem, the superior olivary nucleus uh, circuit uh, with these binaural beats, uh, we're using a circuit that arose more than 300 million years ago in evolutionary biology. And I think that's one of the reasons why we can get such profound effects in some of the participants. And we have people who, you know, have never had this kind of thing happen before, and yet they're having a very real, profound, meaningful connection, for example, with a loved one who's left the physical plane during one of these meditations. And when we use these 16 elements of the NDE scale and educate people about what these elements are like and what they can be like when you experience them in meditation, that opens the door to people to start having broader experiences. And ultimately, the name of the game uh, in this process of, of meditation and expanding relationship with the universe is coming to recognize that you are not identical with that stream of, of thoughts in your head. So many people think, oh, that's who I am, that running stream of thoughts, you know, all your memories, experiences, uh, that running narrative. I love how Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, he calls that the annoying roommate. And that's really the best way we should look at that ego mind and uh, the linguistic brain uh, as being who we are. Uh, we're much more than that. And in fact, I wish Rene Descartes had said, instead of, I think, therefore I am, I'm aware of my thoughts and therefore I am. Because the thoughts uh, themselves are not the actual magic, but the awareness is. And that is something we share with the universe at large, is that uh, fundamental awareness of existence. And that's something that sentient beings can tap into in this mental realm. And in many ways, it's by meditating like this. And I meditate an hour to a day using sacred acoustics. I've been doing that for more than 11 years now. And it's been profoundly helpful in my own health and in healing others and just in my sense of intuition, empathy, et cetera. It's been very helpful to me. But I also use it to recover uh, and relate to many of the denizens of that beautiful world I first encountered in November of 2008 during my near-death experience the forces there, the entities, the guides. Uh, and I discuss a lot of that, especially in expansion of my system of guides uh, in the book, Living in a Mindful Universe, where we talk very practically about using this, these techniques to help uh, one's, in one's soul growth and in transformation. But I think that it's that kind of going within and, and cultivating personal experience, traversing the veil, the veiling function of the physical brain uh, to get out into this world of universal mind, of that primordial mind. Uh, that's absolutely the topic of our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. That's what Karen and I do in our workshops around the world. And I think it's so important to point out to people, take up 20 minutes a day to go within and explore, you know, these incredible uh, extents of, of your uh, uh, awareness out into the universe across time and space and away from those presumed boundaries of self. And you'll start realizing that you have a lot more power and in many ways, a much greater responsibility 
to really live up to your soul's potential in uh, helping this world come into fullness. And that's where I strongly encourage people to get into meditation, centering prayer. I mean, for me, all meditation is a form of deep centering prayer, acknowledging a divine, infinitely loving God force that binds us all together. Uh, that force of love is what we can all share uh, and use for growth and transformation to help our fellow beings. And, and this is where I see a much broader kind of sense of self beyond the ego mind as being very beneficial at helping people grow into this kind of higher nature of being. Mm. Thank you, Evan. That was, that was amazing. I, I would like to put a vote in for the ego mind, though. And one of the things that really, really came to me as, as I was writing the story of Gaia, or as I often say, the story of Gaia wrote me, is the innate purposefulness of our universal's 13.8 billion year journey of, of ev evolutionary intent. There's such prescience, I mean, really from the get-go. And we know now that our universe exists and evolves as a non-locally unified entity. In fact, this year's Nobel Physics Prize were given to three researchers into such universal non-locality, which just means that all the things we've been talking about, the multidimensionality of consciousness, is naturally encompassed within all of that. But I'm, my next book is going to be the story of us. It's the end of the third book of a trilogy. And so I've been sort of starting to really feel into the whys of our journey and the whys of why we perhaps disconnected ourselves or our awareness from the wholeness of all that is and all that we are. And one of the things that the universe's evolutionary arc has shown is it's not just from simplicity to complexity, but it's been to ever greater levels of individuated self-awareness. And then through the, those collaborative processes that you spoke to, there is ways of then collaborating, cooperating. And with each leap into greater complexity, there's been cooperation. And so it seems to me that our individuation, because when I go back to the ancient teachers that I've worked with and learned from all my life, there was that sense of we and that sense of all and quite a small space for the I and the me. But over this period of time, we've expanded that meanness and diminished the weeness and the allness. And it seems to me that that's for a reason, because it's taken us deeper into that sense of individuated self-awareness. But it's got us to the edge of a cliff, as, as we're saying. So we're waking up now to remember that we're inseparable and to, I hope, answer the invitation, the evolutionary invitation of our entire universe and planetary home to now rebalance the me and expand our circle of compassion, as Einstein said, to encompass the we. And we now have, with the convergence of science and spirituality and universal wisdom teachings, a much pro more profound and grander perspective of the all. So I just see that as part of our journey. Thank you very much. You can sit in the passenger seat now. You don't need to be the driver. And, and you know, enter into this next evolutionary phase of the me and the all. And as multidimensional spiritual beings who are also remembering that we're Gaians and can step forward into that co-evolutionary partnership. Well, that's mm. beautifully put. And I, lo I love the point you make about kind of returning to the me because... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm often maybe perceived as kind of beating up on the concept of ego, but ultimately it's through our individuated selves that consciousness itself evolves. I'm convinced that this whole process 
is the evolution of consciousness, kind of along the lines exactly. of what Pierre Tillard de Chardin discussed in his book, The Phenomenon of Man in the mid-20th century. And of course, uh, those who don't know that book do realize he was a paleontologist. So he was used to looking at uh, science over billion-year timescales. But he was also a French Jesuit priest, so he was very informed of spiritual matters. And he came to realize that all the big discussion in the mid-20th century about Darwinian evolution on Earth uh, was only a tiny fraction of what was really going on, uh, this much grander kind of evolution of all of consciousness throughout the universe. And in fact, we are all participants in that. But the interesting thing, as, as the point you just made, is that as much as we're all part of one and this process of evolution, the dynamism of that, the engine that drives it, are our individual threads and their interactions. And so that's where the individuality is important. But in so many ways, I think we kind of got it wrong in the 20th century with a heyday of materialism and this focus on the ego and on competition and on winning and defeating the others, et cetera, as opposed to seeing this as a collaborative venture. And that's where I think uh, this kind of modern unpacking of this notion of primordial mind and yet individuated selves can take on a whole new kind of meaning and, and power. And we can see where, just like that old saying, all politics is local. Well, all evolution of consciousness throughout the cosmos is nothing more than individual sentient beings coming to a deeper understanding of their relationship with the all of the universe. And that is what I, the stage that I think we're at now uh, is coming to a deeper understanding of that kind of uh, set of relationships and how we as individuals can see ourselves as fitting into that kind of a group mission and shared sense of purpose uh, of mm -hmm. taking us to the higher level of understanding of that binding force of love and of cherishing this beautiful gift of Gaia that has been given to us, evolving over hundreds of millions of years. And yet what Homo sapiens is doing now is threatening with extinction, uh, literally uh, you know, a million or so species on that beautiful planet. So that's why it's imperative for us to come to a deeper understanding of this reason for our existence, the abilities we have, the power of our free will, uh, and our responsibility to be more proper stewards of this planet. This is a, a really important point here that I really feel a responsibility to our listeners to kind of unpack this for a minute, because we are in this auspicious time on the planet. And Eben, what you're bringing up is that the evolution of consciousness is an inside job, right? And there's so many that are pushing for this collective awakening as if we can make it happen and is as if we push, we're going to see something demonstrated, right? And yet it's happening and it is evolving us. And so as we're in this auspicious time, it's as if the invitation, I'm doing a lot of as ifs here, but the invitation to do the inside work, to continue to evolve ourselves on this precipice of great change, trusting this cooperation and this collaboration that the universe is inviting us into, trusting that that is happening in real time as well. Like it is happening everywhere on the planet. And there are so many that are invested in pushing and making that happen. 
So I just want to pause here and maybe invite the conversation into a response to this with both of you who are our brilliant minds. As we become Gaians, how do we trust this evolutionary impulse that is evolving us and relax into it so that we're more responsive, more responsible, moving in in a way that we can see results because I'm seeing results everywhere, but many are going, oh, it's hopeless and, and we're, we're, you know, we're jumping off a cliff and it, but there are results if we really can look and relax into this. So I don't know who wants to begin here, but I think it's a really important and critical point for us. Jude wants to begin. Okay. So Jude, uh, as Diane, okay, where are we? Where so are we going? And this is a really important piece of the conversation right here. I'm so delighted the three of us came to this question and perception. And for me, I, I'll go back to Francis Bacon, actually. We sort of come circle from spiral. He talked about tutoro. And what he meant by tutoro has been misinterpreted as torturing nature to find out, shape nature. How are we going to find this out? Tutoro is a musical term, which means to, uh, to, to actually stretch the strings of a violin to be able to play the best music. He was actually talking about attuning with the world and aligning with the world for the music of the world to flow through us, to literally inform our awareness of who we are. That was how he saw the scientific method bringing us, rather than the superstition of the past, bringing us through to a revelation of wholeness and divinity. So my sense is for us to attune and align with this evolutionary impulse of our entire universe that's flowing through us. As Eben, you said right at the beginning, we are so small and yet we are vital to the whole evolutionary purpose at this moment in our planetary home, Gaia and the whole universe. So for me, it's exactly that. It's not as making something happen, imposing something. It is how do we open, not just to a passive trust, but to a proactive trust of aligning and attuning with how that flows through us. And it seems to me it's doing so in so many ways at the moment. So that's my, I, I'd like to pass the talking stick right back to Evan, because I know you'll flow with this and have this sense in your own experience and your own well, teachings. That's certainly a beautiful way of putting it. And uh, I love how you brought up um, a few minutes ago that the Nobel Prize in Physics this year in 2022 was given to uh, three individuals who played a crucial role over the last half century, I will point out, because their experiments had an origin back in the 1960s. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, just incredible work. But from my point, and people have been waiting for this in the physics community, uh, you know, for more than a decade. When would these guys get this award? And, uh, you know, as often it takes the Nobel Prize Committee a long time to admit that certain research, especially controversial research, is far enough along that they can consider awarding a prize for. It. And that's exactly what happened this year. And I think that should inform all of us about the state of this current revolution in science and where it stands. 
Because once you invoke uh, entanglement and this kind of connection of the universe across time and space beyond the supposed limits of things like special relativity and other materialist kind of notions of the limitations, you start to realize how powerful uh, this kind of awakening can be and how far along it's already gone. When uh, you know those three individuals won Nobel Prizes for demonstrating the concrete reality of entanglement across space and time is one of the most extraordinary and revolutionary kind of awards they've ever given out by the Nobel Committee. But to me, it shows us that we are actually making tremendous progress along these lines and that this whole world is uh, waking up to this uh, deeper kind of interconnected reality. We're all part of Indra's net. So everything that we do has an influence throughout the universe. And uh, this is very important. I mean, I think most people would admit that your your mind is a lot grander than, than your physical body and brain. I mean, the mind can encompass all of eternity, infinity, multiple universes. I mean, the mind can go incredibly far along in exploring the possibilities of reality. Uh, And that's one thing that I think we're just beginning to truly uh, uncover is that power. But from my perspective, kind of getting back to your question, I think, Julie, was uh, uh, this notion that never forget in all these grand discussions of unification uh, and oneness uh, that, in fact, it's the binding force of love. As all those uh, near-death experiencers, uh, you know, on the Internet, uh, stories out there by the hundreds of thousands, and certainly uh, we can extrapolate that millions of people have had these kinds of experiences. Uh, And when you realize that something like 90% of near-death experiencers over the thousands of years come back uh, believing that there is a reality to a God force, that God is a very real uh, something that they encountered and uh, interacted with in beautiful, reassuring ways in their near-death experience, I think that should inform all of us that there actually is an intelligence that is right at the very base of that love. And in fact, from my NDE, as I often discuss, I came to realize that our very conscious awareness is absolutely and completely sourced in that God force. It's not separate from it at all. And many NDEers have had that very direct experience of oneness with the divine. And that is something, as I said earlier, you don't have to have an NDE to get all this. Uh, a regular practice of centering prayer, meditation, especially sound enhanced, very powerful, deep meditation with something like sacred acoustics can help all of us get in touch with that primordial mind and a greater sense of, of purpose and of the specific steps that we can take in our own evolution to contribute towards that. And it's always uh, with that focus on love, on the heart, heart consciousness of togetherness, of helping the least, the last, and the lost. I mean, we can never lose those deep and profound principles of love and connectedness in this kind of scientific and philosophical journey of discovery. Ultimately, uh, I, I know I was I was accused at a scientific meeting in, in Paris about five years ago uh, uh, with a lot of medical scientists interested in NDEs. And and somebody said, it sounded like I was trying to start a new religion. And all I said was, no, we don't need a new religion. All we have to do is realize we're spiritual beings in a spiritual universe, uh, go through personal experience 
of prayer and meditation to seek that connection. And we can all come to realize that beautiful connection we share. And it doesn't have to be dependent on any kind of religious belief system. But ultimately, the other kind of deep truth, I think, is that the ultimate origin of many of our religious systems uh, in the journeys of prophets and mystics is identical to what indie ears are trying to tell us now about the binding force of love and about the reality of that God force. And in fact, there's a beautiful book written by Christopher Copps, C-O-P-P-E-S. It's called The Essence of Religions. And he uses NDEs and their lessons as the gold standard. Uh, and then he compares the uh, five major uh, religious faiths on earth today, finds that none of them get it totally right, but they all get somewhat close. But what you realize is in the ideologies and in the kind of modern world where you use an ideological system to combat other ideologies, they've really lost the sense of the message of the original prophets of oneness, of love, uh, that we're all, we have that God force within us. And this is what I think this modern science of consciousness with its focus on, on unity and on the binding force of love can help return us to a much more natural grounded center of understanding of our existence uh, and our relationship with those around us and help lead us through this uh, daily prayer and meditation towards a much more facile contribution uh, to the successful evolution of, of humankind and of, of earth kind. All of our fellow beings will certainly benefit from this maturation of our uh, kind of group collective consciousness. Mm. Evan, that was brilliant. And you answered my last question. So I'm going to summarize for you because it was brilliant. I was going to ask you about a call to action and I'm going to take that as daily prayer and meditation. Thank you. you we've been listening to Evan Alexander and Dr. Jude Curvin, my co-host here. You can find more about Evan's work at evanalexander.com. You could also find Jude at judecurvin.com and wholeworld-view.org. And of course, you can find more about me and my work at juliecrawl.com and goodofthewhole.org. I want to leave you with the words of Eben Alexander in his most recent book, Living in a Mindful Universe. Fits perfectly with our conversation today, materialist science as a foundation for comprehending our reality is at a dead end. We are long overdue to rise above this facade, and this demands the robust incorporation of consciousness into our working model of the universe, a convergence of understanding about our approach to science, our universe, and ourselves is the only way forward. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is a part of our Conscious Planet series with co-host and author, Dr. Jude Curvan. Thanks for joining us here together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world. We're sending you. We're all, all three of us sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, Please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.